Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and partner at Brody Thorning LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. Our podcast today features a very important topic, uh, the topic of parenting through divorce. And as someone who has kids, I can't think of a more important topic to talk about because anyone who has children that's one of their primary concerns through the divorce process how are my children going to to deal with this is it going to affect them negatively long term and how can i best as a parent help them so today i'm joined by kind of a celebrity i i would say um his name is jason eric ross and he's a licensed psychotherapist in new york florida and georgia He specializes in trauma, parenting, relationships, substance abuse, chronic mental health, and wellness. He's the co-author of a parenting book entitled, You Can Say No and Your Child Will Still Love You, imagine that, um, which he co-wrote with his mother, Norma. Jason was also a script consultant for The Mind of a Murderer, season two, and he has appeared on TV as both a therapist and as an actor on shows like Evil Lives Here and The Perfect Murder on Discovery ID. Jason practices in both New York City and South Florida. And welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I think it's famous, celebrity, wow, that's a a hell of uh, of (laughs) an introduction. Not quite, but I I appreciate hearing it. Well, I figure you've been on TV, so, or or on uh, some form of uh, broadcast there with your actor, acting skills so that qualifies you i appreciate it i'll take it (laughs) well thank you so much for joining me um i'm very grateful to have you here and uh it's you were just commenting before we came on about you know how modern technology is so amazing and we can connect with people all over so i'm grateful to be chatting with you Uh, you mentioned you're down in florida enjoying much better weather than we have here in toronto Yes, we, we, we have it a little better here, I would say. I, I don't want to gloat, but we definitely have it a little better here right now. Yes. So before we delve into this important topic of you know, parenting through divorce, um, why don't you tell listeners a, a little bit um, about your background in, in this particular topic area? Sure. I happen to be the son of two psychoanalysts, so I have a little bit of an interest pedigree, I think, in that regard. I've been around therapy, counseling, psychoanalysis, basically my entire life. And my mother, who I actually co-wrote the book with, it's really based on her parenting style and what she learned before she got into the field. So what I've learned over the years is that parents who work together and stay on the same page tend to have better, stronger marriages, and their parenting certainly goes better. And their children generally develop within the appropriate time frames that they should. So the more and more over the last 20-something years that I, after I got into the field, I've seen that happen more and more. And I think we're actually in an epidemic where parents are really struggling with parenting their children. Even in, uh, you know, certainly we have more divorced homes than ever. Uh, but whether divorced homes or uh, intact homes, parents are struggling to work together. And that's where a lot of therapists come in now to help them to end sort of that struggle. That makes a lot of sense. Now, 
when someone is going through a divorce, um, I know, you know, one of the biggest concerns I have is with respect to their children. And one of the questions I think a lot of divorcing parents, you know, ask is what are some tips that you can give them uh, to help their children get through the divorce as best as possible? Great question and probably the overarching question to ask. The thing that most parents have to consider is what is the developmental or emotional age of the child? We have a situation over, certainly over the last 20 plus years with technology, where you could have a five-year-old who has an unbelievable vocabulary. You might have a nine-year-old who hasn't developed emotionally. So parents have to ask themselves, how emotionally developed is my child? And that interprets as how much can they handle? How much can I communicate with them and tell them the truth about what's going on? You know, children have lots of fears. Some are real, rational, and some are irrational. We want to get rid of some of the irrational ones, and we absolutely want to be able to validate the real fears. And that's where I think a lot of parents are struggling. So you have to know the developmental, emotional age, emotional intelligence of your child. Is there an age where a child is just simply too young? Like, because if you're splitting up, obviously you're going to have different homes. So you're going to have to explain something to your children. I mean, unless they're a baby, I guess. But, um, you know, is there an age where you feel parents need to be, you know, pretty honest about that stuff? Um, and an age where maybe they don't have, have to be quite as honest? Or do you just recommend always being honest and open no matter the age? I think you have to vary it depending on the emotional age. Uh, so, you know, there are five-year-olds who can somewhat understand. I think it goes from feelings to facts. Imagine if there was a tragedy in the world, we wouldn't necessarily give a young child all the details. They might go to school and hear things, so we want to validate their fears more so than give them every bit of why it happened. I think with a younger child in general, let's say five to ten, it's much more difficult. They may have a greater time, uh, a tougher time understanding what's really going on. You know, you can tell a five-year-old, mommy and daddy are getting a divorce, but they don't really understand what that means conceptually. So you may have to tell them what's going to happen versus just simply explaining the bigger picture that they can't grasp. So it really is always going to be based on the child. The older the child, the more they can take in, the more they're going to need to know because the questions are going to become more burning as they go. So could you give us an example maybe of, for say, an emotionally younger child, so say a child who's five and emotionally five, um, how a parent might sit them down and, you know, say mom and dad are getting a divorce, like how would they, how should they describe that to the child or what sort of terminology would a child that age be able to understand? Some five-year-olds could understand, I think, with that, the average five-year-old, the first thing is understanding whether or not the child has witnessed anything that's really gone on in the house. If a five-year-old has watched a lot of uh, anger being you know, uh, jabbed back and forth, if they've witnessed violence, you have one situation. If the child has not necessarily seen anything, at some point if the parents are, when they know they're going to literally split up or one person's going to move out of the house or perhaps, let's say, you know, a couple splitting bedrooms. At that point, they might sit down with the child and say to them, you know, Jenny, do you understand why mommy and daddy are in different rooms? Very often what's going to happen is the child is going to ask the question before you get to it, and you have to be prepared for it. 
So it may be the same answer. Well, let me sit you down and we're going to talk about what's going on. And it may come to the fact that the parent says, mommy and daddy aren't getting along right now. Sometimes we're fighting, as an example. It's concrete things that the child might understand. A child might understand when there's a disagreement. They might understand if somebody's angry. So you use the terminology that they're most familiar with to express it to them. That makes sense. And then I guess with an older child who might, like say a 11-year-old who might already be familiar with the term divorce or separation, you could actually use those terms when speaking to them? Sure, sure. You, there it's very important to be validating to the child because the worst thing for a child is sort of being treated as if they're stupid or if they don't know what's going on when it's painfully obvious to the child what's yeah. going on. We, we, yeah. you know, it's, look, it's hard enough for the, the child to deal with divorce, right? No matter what the age is. You know, they, exactly. could be an, they can be an adult. And it might actually be harder as they go along. I think you also have to know where the child is at in terms of what they think of the marriage. Uh, I've had children, adults, who understand marriage as, well, I'm glad my parents are divorced. They're not fighting anymore. You know, the child could be relieved on one level. And we have to, we want to get a gauge for where they're at, what their concerns are, what their fears are at. And that's at any age. But at 11 year old, it starts to be, become really more frank and honest. Again, we don't have to tell everything. And I wouldn't suggest disclosing everything. And parents have to be careful not to throw each other under the bus. And I think that's such an important point because what I unfortunately see a lot of as a divorce attorney is I see, you know, the parents continually trying to undermine the other parent with the child and involving them, you know, in adult issues, for example, you know, saying mommy had an affair or daddy had an affair. And, um, you know, what's your opinion on is, is there any age where a child needs to know that information? Or is that something that Really, even if your children are, you know, 16, do they, you know, don't need to have that much detail about what's going on? I think when the child's about 44, they're ready. No, um, <laughs> I, I think a teenager, I think if a child really wants to know the information, you have to understand why they want to know the information, how it's going to help them. I think it's very difficult to tell the child the gory details, let's say, and we always want to stay away from that. And the temptation when parents are throwing each other, other, you know, under, each other under the bus, the temptation is to throw it out there. Yes. So you have, to, you have to really, the parents have to do their own work to keep themselves in check. And very often it's one parent does it and the other gets beaten up in the process. And they get angrier. And it changes the way sometimes that they parent. So I think if you have a teenager, they're going to need to know a lot. They don't need to know everything, but you really want to, be on top of how are they feeling about it? Because arguably, they're going to be angry. And if they become a pawn in the divorce, we have an entirely different situation. Definitely. And we definitely want to avoid that if, if we can. Um, sure. You know, there's a lot of abusive relationships out there. And when it, um, where, you know, one parent is perhaps abusive towards the other parent, not necessarily the children directly. Um, if someone, someone who's got that type of personality where they're either physically abusive or, you know, emotionally, mentally abusive towards their spouse, 
Uh, does the divorce process have any effect uh, in terms of either aggravating that or mitigating it? Often it aggravates it. I think what happens in some situations, so if you have someone who's abusive, they're very often they, it's about control, you know, power and control. There's, the, there's a, a document called the power and control wheel, which they often give to victims. So when, a, when someone who likes control starts to lose control, you'll actually see them amped up. So that can be very detrimental to the partner, the ex-partner or to be, so to speak. And it's very detrimental for the children to watch. The problem I find, it, my experience would tell me that the system has its limits and sometimes cannot uh, you know, put down that kind of behavior. It can't clamp down on it sometimes. So it gets perpetuated and it's devastating to children of any age. Yes. Now, when one parent talks badly about the other parent to the child, um, from a mental health and psychological perspective, what impact does that have on the child? It brings shame, which is potentially the most devastating thing you can have built in a child. People think about you know, physical abuse, they think about sexual abuse, both of which are horrific. Um, emotional abuse has a different sort of bent and often brings shame. So the child gets stuck in between the two, it can be devastating them for years to come because they don't, their sense of themselves is based on, well, I caused this divorce, basically. That's what they internalize. And that in itself is as problematic as you can get. And you'll find that a lot of children who end up turning to drugs, other behaviors that are uh, antisocial, let's just say, struggle with that because they've watched one parent do it to the other. It, it eradicates self-esteem. And tell me if this is true. One of the things I've read is that often when, a when that happens, because a child knows that they're made up of both parents, when they feel that the, you know, one of their parents is being you know, rejected or put down or criticized, they view that as a criticism of themselves because they know that you know, they're 50% made up of that parent. Sure, they can take it personally. And it's also based on the personality style of the child. Sometimes you'll have a situation where a child becomes the protector of the parent and they learn to become a fighter very early. That's a better scenario than, than the, the other way. However, the child does internalize because this is part of who I am. I am connected to this person. And it's tough for them to dissociate from that and to deviate from it. That makes sense. Um, and... What about situations where, because uh, I've seen this a lot as well, a parent kind of goes to their child for emotional support through the separation and divorce. They have a very mature, you know, eight-year-old or 10-year-old or, you know, 12 or 16-year-old even. And they, rather than seeing a therapist or talking to a friend or family member, they really use that child as their confidant. What, what sort of impact does that have on the child? That's a really insightful question. The, it, it's great insight. Dangerous. In one word, dangerous. Yeah. It's a form of emotional triangulation. So the child doesn't learn what their role is. Children are basically, their job is to be children. They are supposed to be parented. And the parent who does that is doing the child a disservice because it's taking away part of their childhood. 
they're not supposed to be the best friend. Again, if you're 25 and you said your best friend is 14, people are going to look at you like you're nuts. So this kind of behavior goes on a lot. It's, it's, I've seen it plenty, and it's, it's very scary. It does untold damage to the child who can't develop their own self-esteem, their own self-worth, and the pressure to do that. What ends up happening with all these parenting scenarios that we're discussing is the chance for repeating them later on. So you mean like in their own life with a future partner? Is, is that what yep. you mean? Exactly. The odds of repeating bad patterns for everybody in everything are higher unless you know, people have had what I would call enough requisite counseling and therapy to really look at their own issues. So it's a very dangerous slope when a parent is not mindful enough to keep the child protected enough and informed enough at the same time. But you can't triangulate your child to be your friend. Dangerous. Yeah. Um, now, what do you say to parents who say that they're, they're, in a, they're very unhappy, they feel miserable in their marriage, but they're going to stick it out for the sake of the children? My gut response to that is, no, you're not. You're doing it for yourself. Great answer. <laughs> that's, yeah, thanks. That's, my, that's the gut response. And I, I think people minimize the strength of children. Because if children have been watching miserable parents, what are we teaching them? Yes. We're teaching them to accept mediocrity? You know, when would, when would we do that? You know, generally we teach children to try hard, do well. Um, you know, that, that's what we sort of try to, I think that's what parents try to embody. So when they take that approach, it's about their own fears. And that's why parents have to really take a good look at themselves and put themselves in check, do their own work, their own therapy. Yeah. Um, I, I can understand if they want to make it work, but at some point, what happens when the facade comes off? You know, children grow up and then they go to college and then you see empty nesters suddenly divorcing. Yeah, there's a so, lot of that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I, I, you know, the divorce rate is, uh, obviously I'm in the States, so if I, if I say for the States, the, the theory is that it's between 50 and 60%. My thought is that it actually should be higher because how many people don't get divorced that have thought about it and are too afraid to do it? I agree. I think it's, you know, much higher. And then it doesn't even yes. include all the common law people um, who, you know, have children and, um, right. you know, don't stay together as well. So the odds of a, you know, a successful relationship um, long term, unfortunately, are they're not the best uh, these days. That's right. Um, is there a particular age where it's harder for children? Like, for example, in my own divorce, my children were very young. They were one in three when I got divorced and they don't really know any other way of life other than mom and dad not being together. And so I've often thought that in a way it was a blessing that they were so young when we split up. And so I'm wondering if there's a particular age range that takes divorce, you know, a little harder or has a harder time dealing with the changes surrounding divorce. I think your statement about what you went through is accurate. I think if I, you know, if I had to scope it out, between 8 and 14, 9 and 14, somewhere in there, you know, when children are really starting to get into puberty, when they're starting to go through physical changes, the odds of it becoming more difficult, in my view, are higher. 
there's more struggles for them socially. We certainly live in a world that's very different than what I grew up in with, uh, grew up in socially with, uh, between you know, tech, social media, bullying, et cetera, and, and the mental health issues are through the roof. So I think when a child is struggling, they're likely going to struggle more so in that time. But again, it doesn't mean it won't happen later either. But I think they're the most vulnerable at that point. They don't have a good sense of themselves yet. Right. That makes sense. Um, in, when you're going through a divorce, um, you know, one of the challenges I see with clients, and certainly it's something I went through myself, is you're going through one of life's most stressful events, and you're devastated, and you feel horrible, and, you know, maybe you're depressed and anxious and all, you know, having your own mental health struggles. How do you keep it together uh, for the sake of your child so that you, you know, do you let them know that you're, you know, you're really sad and you're struggling, or do you try and, you know, put on your best face in front of your child and, and not let on that that's happening? How, what's the best way for a parent to deal with that? Well, this goes back to a core tenet of parenting, which is modeling behaviors. So I think having a parent who can teach a child vulnerability does a great service to that child. You know, if you can model emotions, model how to handle feelings. So the parent who can, I, do I think they should have their best face on most of the time? Sure. I think you want to reassure your children. And at the same time, we have, you know, it's, it's a dialectic. It's, we can say to them, well, I have my moments. I'm, I'm still sad. I'm sad for the, I'm sad for the, you know, if there's two children, I'm sad for the two of you. I didn't want you to have to go through this. I feel badly. So it's, it's a fine line. But I think when a, when a parent models the behavior, behavior and they show vulnerability, they really empower their children to grow. And that's the best parenting, no matter what the situation is. That's real parenting. Yeah, that's being authentic with your child and, you know, because I've always heard and even just again with my own experience, like glossing over negative things and acting like everything's fine when it isn't, it, it doesn't seem, to, you know, that's not a helpful behavior, like dealing, learning to deal with negative emotions and feel them and process them and move forward. You know, that seems like that's the type of skill you want to teach your child. It is. I think the theory of, you know, fake it till you make it is always, there's a place for it, yeah. but you, you said the word best, being authentic. When we're authentic, that's unbelievable modeling for a child. The child, it, you know, it's monkey see, monkey do parenting, which is the best form of all. I think that's, you can tell a child to do something, but if you show them, they're more likely to internalize it. They're like, you know, mom did this or dad did it. I, I can do that. I can be empowered too. Mom can handle her emotions. Great. I can too. And that's where you really want to be. Right. Now, going back a little bit to our conversation earlier about parents, um, you know, maybe bad-mouthing the other parent to the child. Um, if you're in that type of situation, so if someone who's listening to this is in that situation and their ex is continually bad-mouthing them to their children, um, and they've been told that you know, this person's been told and they've tried to take the higher ground, but they feel that, you know, the exes, you know, the children are now saying some of the things that the ex is saying. Like, what's the best way of, of dealing with that? Um, you know, what do they say to their, ch like their child or what, what is their best way to counter that type of behavior and its effects on their children and their, and their own relationship with their children? That's one of the toughest situations. 
I think you have to figure out how to confront it appropriately. Uh, when you've been in that situation, the, the likelihood is you're going to be very angry, which would make sense. How to handle your anger and be effective is the critical point. So that's why it's so important that a person does their own work because they can get very crafty in terms of how they handle it. They might, so as an example, if you have a child who's not as tall as you, let's say it's a younger child, significantly younger, you always want to be able to sort of get down to their level physically when you talk to them versus talking right down to, at them. Very different dynamic when you're addressing the child. If this is where you want to make sure your emotions don't get the better of you and that you show that you're actually not bothered by what they say, but you're understanding what a terrible position that child must be in, that they're being manipulated by the other parent, which is usually what happens. Right. And very often, I've seen the court systems don't step in and just squash that, which does need to happen. At a point, a parent's going to have to hold their own, and they're going to have to speak their truth. And it may, not get, it may not be pretty at that point. And at some point, that may happen. And I understand that it might. Not a great situation to be in, but at some point, the parent has to draw the line. Very tough. Have you dealt with any cases yourself of uh, parental alienation? Sure. It, it, it's, it's more common than not, I think. I, I've seen parents who divorce who can do it somewhat amicably, and I've seen a few uh, that are beyond alienation. I, I don't quite understand how it's allowed to continue, and the, the, the effects are devastating to the children. And they can be long-lasting, lifelong issues. So when a parent does that, Unfortunately, they really need to have a consequence for that behavior. If they don't, the children are going to be affected. And the damage, we don't know what that's going to be. Depending on the age, it can be pretty severe. So uh, some parents want to play the children against uh, the other parent. They want to make the other parent look like they're the bad parent. And it's, it's, it's beyond some of the most selfish, narcissistic, abusive behaviors you can ever come across. And they're among the most devastating long-term. Yes. And I mean, I find as a lawyer, those are the toughest cases to deal with. Because as you touched upon, the courts are not well-equipped to deal with that type of situation. Um, I mean, the court process, first of all, is very long and unwieldy. There's every, everything takes forever. And by the time you, know, you actually maybe get to a point where there's a hearing on the issue, like so much damage has already been done that it's very hard to, you know, to unwind it. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I find you get situations where both parents are accusing the other parent of something um, or the parent who's doing the alienating, you know, of course, is denying it. Um, and it's, it's just, I, I don't feel right now that the courts deal with it very well. And I don't know what the solution is. I wish I had one um, because it is a real problem. It's a huge problem. My feeling has always been, and this may sound somewhat funny, especially with a serious topic, but if they made it sort of like a steel cage match in wrestling, that they made it time set where you had to work on this for a certain amount of time and you don't get out until it's done, people would come to terms quicker if they were forced to do so. So it, there's no impetus per se for someone to get divorced if they don't want to get divorced. It's very easy for one parent who, let's say, is the, uh, the breadwinner to financially strong arm the other parent. So you have financial, emotional, physical, 
sexual or emotional coercion, you have a real problem on your hands. So the only way to really deal with it, unfortunately, is to drag the people in and literally put them through the ringer and affect, affect their lives, particularly the abuser, that they're going to get the message that they can't do this. Unfortunately, the system isn't equipped to do it, but it would change the way people behave. There is a deterrent. People do, people do respond to deterrent sometimes. I, I agree with that. And that kind of brings me to the next question is, you know, if your spouse, your former spouse is someone who is abusive, how do you co-parent, you know, going forward with that type of person? Is it possible to co-parent with uh, someone who's an abuser? Nearly impossible. They're, because they're going against you, they're going to undermine you, and their sole goal is to humiliate you, usually for leaving them. That's, you know, that's the, a very narcissistic, uh, borderline, psychopathic, sociopathic mentality. They're only interested in hurting you. They're not really interested in the children. Many no. parents make it out, oh, I, I'm all about the kids. They're not about the kids. They're only about hurting the other person. Because if they really weren't, all they would do is figure out how to finish the divorce as quickly as possible and move on. Yes. And that's, so, you know, going back to that power and control wheel, um, that's, what, that's what gets perpetuated. And I've, I've watched it uh, very close up with families, and it's, it's dreadful. The, the, the children are forever changed. And why would they trust anybody when they've watched their family be decimated? And it could have been stopped. So if you could recommend to somebody who's in that type of situation, they, they, their ex is abusive, they have a five-year-old child and maybe say a seven-year-old child with this person, so they, you know, they, and they've got some form of shared custody uh, arrangement with that abusive parent, what are some tips you can give them for, you know, managing that type of situation as best as they can? Certainly one of the most important points. I think what they have to learn is how to have firm boundaries with the child when they're being undermined. General consensus, whether a divorced home or not, what I've found is one parent is the disciplinarian, one person is the enabler, or, you know, quote, let's call it the Disney dad yeah. um, or Disney mom. So if you're the other parent, the natural inclination is to try to... Uh, be nice, um, give way too much. And you have to stay away from that because what you're going to do in essence is victimize the child and teach them to become a victim and then teach them that the rules don't matter for them, which is about as dangerous as it comes as well. Because when you step out into the real world, you know, you can't go to Microsoft and get a job and go do whatever you want. <laughs> the real world has rules. So, uh, you know, no different than when handling children with, you know, temper tantrums. So very tough position for the other parent who wants to do the right thing, but they have to be very mindful um, to be firm, even though they feel badly. That's the real art. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, boundaries are just so important. And, and children also learn, like even in, uh, you know, with parents who have a somewhat healthy relationship, even though they're divorced, children learn to play their parents off of one another usually yes. very well. Um, and totally. so what's your advice for that? If say you're, you're the stricter parent and your ex is the softy and every time your children are with you, you know, they're like, well, mom or dad lets me do that. Why won't you, how, how do how do you best deal with that? 
Sure. You, you, have to, you have to hold your ground. So parenting, when it's done correctly, is usually fair, firm, and consistent. So I come from a family where while I had two parents who were psychoanalysts, there was a theory in terms of how we were raised. And it's saying yes to what's reasonable and no to what isn't. And that's how the part of how the, the book that I wrote, uh, co-wrote with my mother came up is because that's the methodology. So you have to have, you really have to be able to do your own work and have a sense of what you're doing as a parent because you'll bend those rules. You know, you have to, again, know your child's appropriate age, the emotional age. How much can they handle? How much leeway can I give a child? But when your gut tells you it's the wrong thing, you got to be willing to upset your child. And if you don't do that as a parent, divorced or not, your child is not going to learn that rules apply to them and they are going to have a very difficult time in the world. And we are seeing it more and more than ever. I was going to say that. I think that's one of the biggest problems of, you know, the generation today is kids weren't told no and haven't been told no. And they, you know, when they become adults, it's hard to adapt to that. When you, yeah, that's right. When you've heard yes all the time and suddenly someone says no, you are not going to like it. And yeah. that's actually what happens in a lot of these, you know, divorce cases is that this parent always gets what they want because, you know, maybe they've been able to financially do it. Uh, they've been able to strong arm or bully people. And then somebody tells them no. So going back to the, one of the earlier questions, that's when they escalate their anger. Because now they're taking, you're taking some control and power away from them and they do not like it. Yeah. Now, does divorce inevitably have to scar a child? I don't think so. It could actually empower a child. I think if, it, if a child knows their parents aren't getting along, they don't want to be on the hook for the parents. In other words, if, if a parent, parents, quote, let's just say they, they should get divorced, and they do, and the parents move on and are amicable, the child can understand that. I've seen divorced parents work together really well when it comes to parenting. And you think, how are you guys not married in the first place? And, they, they, and they've said, we just didn't click as parent, as, as a couple, but as parents, we're good. Yeah. So I don't think they have to be scarred. I think it's, it, I think it's imperative that uh, children get therapy. I don't think it should be up for debate. Um, I damn well think the parents should have to do their own work. I, I, I just think there, there's so many rules that could be implemented, even though the system is per se screwed up that would help children tremendously. Uh, but you don't have to be scarred. Again, you don't have to be a victim of your childhood. You don't have a, to be a victim of your trauma, whatever it is in life. There are ways to get empowered. It just takes a lot of work. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I agree with you. I think that if people can afford it or if they have insurance that covers it and whatnot, like therapy for their children, therapy for themselves is so important through the divorce process. Um, sure. One thing I've always wondered and seen a little bit of is, is it possible for someone to be um, somewhat abusive as a spouse, but to still be a good parent? That's a really interesting slant. Is it possible? Possible, but I'm going to say that with a grain of salt, because if you're abusive to the parent, uh, if you're abusive to the other parent, you're hurting your child anyway. So I, I, it's, it doesn't, it's not authentic at that point. Right. 
I think what, what you can do, and I've, I've seen this, you could act like you're the good parent, but really you're not. You're, you're a good parent to the child when you treat their other parent with honesty, with empathy, with kindness, respect, uh, respect integrity, authenticity. So it's, yeah, they, they, can, they can fake it, but it, they don't make it. Right. As an example. Yeah. And, but I, I think that's, a, I think that's the way that a lot of parents go. I love, and it, it comes to, I love you more than mommy because I get, I buy you things. Yeah. You know, and I, I you know, the financial coercion, it's, it's, it's almost a form of emotional incest, which is as dangerous as physical. Yeah. And you see that with teenagers in particular, because, you know, when you're a teenager, you, that's when you kind of become more interested in the brand names and, you know, what type of cell phone you have and all of that. And so I think, you know, they can be more easily manipulated at times with, you know, by a parent who can afford to buy them a lot of the nicer things. It, and it happens early. It happens early. I've seen it happen with, you know, children who are even in you know, eight to 10 even. Yeah. And, and, and again, one of those things that should be clamped down on, but doesn't happen. Yeah. Now, dating after divorce, um, you know, most many, many people who've gone through a divorce, you know, they meet someone else at some point and many can live happily ever after. Um, when you have children um, it's, and you've just gone through a divorce, what uh, is your recommendation in terms of introducing when to introduce a new partner? Don't do it before the damn divorce. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds funny on one level, and it's it's really serious at the same time. It's good advice. <laughs> it's good, but, but but solid advice, right? So I think I, this goes back to the original points about emotional and developmental age. Some children aren't really attached to the other parent, so you know you can have a situation where there's children and. They really don't have the, the, the emotional connection to one parent. Let's say the dad as an example. They're thinking about mom. And, you know, children go to school and other children, you know, children talk. They know that other mommies and daddies um, might be dating. This one's dating that one. So I think what you want to do is ask questions. And this, is, this goes for a lot of different issues when we're talking to children, whether it be, you know, traumatic uh, world events divorce is understanding what's what's driving the question for them because that'll always dictate how you answer because we don't want to give too much information so you know the child might bring it up you, you want to come to you want to take a question and answer with a question you want to be an interrogative pro, uh, pro, process sort of socratic method well why do you ask and then you start to create the dialogue with the child and that's also great parenting because the child connects and they understand they're being validated and listened to, which means they're going to have more trust for what you're telling them. So it may be as simple as, you know, what do you want to, why do you ask? And they start telling you and you, and you can see what's their agenda. Right. And then you address their agenda. And again, not to give too much detail, but you definitely want, uh, you want to wait either till the divorce is done where you want to wait until it's very clear that this has no way of going backwards and the children are seemingly okay with where you're headed. Now, uh, should your child be able to dictate whether you date or not? Because 
you know, some children, the thought of their separated or divorced parent dating anyone is very upsetting to them, sometimes unreasonably so. Um, and other times, you know, there's valid reasons for it. But should a, if a, someone has a, a 12-year-old and they're divorced and their 12-year-old, you know, just doesn't want them to date, should they respect that or should they, you know, still date and keep it separate or how do they approach that? Well, I think you want to understand why the child doesn't want that and address their fears and concerns. I think this goes, believe it or not, along the same lines. Do you let your 12-year-old decide your investment portfolio? And <laughs> usually the answer is no, uh, in most cases, I believe. Unless they're like a mini Warren Buffett or something at age 12. But, uh... right. if, if, if that's your child, go for it. Do <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all for it at that point. Perhaps dating is not the issue at that point. If the child is concerned, you have to wonder what it's about. And basically, it's about their own fears. And they haven't obviously addressed their own fears that the truth is, mommy and daddy are dumb. You know, they, they're not coming to terms with it. So they have some work to do. I think that parent has to dig in. I don't think you want to go behind their back. And I'm not saying you have to be completely transparent up front. I don't think that's always the answer in these cases. But you certainly can't let them dictate the show because outside of, you know, what you might be making for dinner, how many decisions are we going to give to a 12-year-old whose body is usually going through hormonal changes in puberty and, you know, can not often figure out which end is up? So do we want to let them stay victimized, which is what will happen if we do that? Right. Now, if someone were to, you know, come to you and just sort of sum it all up uh, and say, I'm, you know, about to go through the divorce process, what, you know, two or three things would you tell me are the most important things to keep in mind to make this as easy on my children as possible? I think the parent needs to know where the children are at in terms of how they view the marriage or the dysfunction in the relationship. I think you really want to know, so therapists are always, the, the backbone of therapy is sort of be where the client is at. You need to do the same in parenting. You really want to know where your child is at so you can figure out how you're going to navigate this. You know, are you prepared to address temper tantrums? Are you prepared to address if they're depressed? How are you going to explain it to them? Do you really understand their emotional development, emotional intelligence, emotional age. And based on that, are you ready to do things like if I have to, have to and probably should put them in therapy, am I prepared to do it? How strong am I to handle what's coming? Have I discussed it with enough people? And these are, those, are, those, those are the first things that come to mind because it's such an ongoing process to get the child, even if you didn't have a divorce, to get the child to where they're independent. That's, you know, the core of parenting is to raise a child so they can be independent, not right. so they can be happy. Happiness is something else. Right. Hopefully they end up happy and content, but it doesn't, you know, if we look at the massive amount of mental health issues that are going across the board, just in the United States alone, perhaps there's something missing from the equation here. That makes sense. Now, if listeners uh, want to find you, how can they find you? The simplest ways, anything on social media has my full name, uh, Jason Eric Ross. So at Jason Eric Ross, pretty much on any social media platform will work. 
and jasonericross.com, my website. Those are probably the easiest. And all my contact info is, is always there. And uh, you can say no and your child will still love you. I think is on Amazon uh, for like 99 cents. There's a digital version of it, I think. Yeah, and if they contact me, I, I often send copies of the book out just because That's I like to get it out there. That's great. I'll have to take a look at it. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like this was such an important issue and you offered some great advice and insights. So I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join me on the podcast. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.